0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store.
1: Mr. Rob Susan's always keeping it interesting, right? Yeah. All right. Now get your pencil sharpened again today. All of you here and all of you who are connecting with us from home, because. Mr. Rob Susan picked another word that you're probably going to have to get those tally marks moving quick. And that's okay. That's all right, especially if it kind of keeps you connected to what we're talking about. And we're talking, as we heard, talking about hope this morning, but we're talking about it in the context of the Holy Spirit. If you joined with us last week, It was Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, where that's the day that the promised Holy Spirit was given to all the believers, 120 of them that were following Jesus' command, and they were waiting. They were waiting for that gift of the Holy Spirit to arrive. So we talked about that last week when here are these 120 people, who had just, they had lost their savior. And then he was resurrected and appeared to them for 40 days. And then he he was ascended into heaven. And he said, go wait in the city of Jerusalem. And they waited. They went into an upper room in a building where they just praised the Lord. They continued to pray, praise the Lord. They went to the temple during the day. And then suddenly on one day, which was that day of Pentecost, which is a Jewish festival of the harvest, there came like a sound of a violent wind into that room. And it filled the entire room, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They saw tongues of fire come and rest on the heads of uh, each, each one, and they began to speak in words that the Spirit gave them. And they received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the apostle Peter preached that day because it caused quite a stir in the city of Jerusalem, as you might imagine. And many people came and said, what's this noise? What's it all about? Peter began to preach. And one of the things that he said, he made this declaration that particular day. And he said, this promise of the Holy Spirit, it extends to all of us. He said, it's to you, those people there, and to them that are far off, to your children, to any that would come to Jesus Christ and call on his name as Lord and Savior. The Apostle Peter was unequivocal about this. This is a promise that continues and it extends to us. And he said to that crowd, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you too will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. You've repented of your sins. You trust in Jesus. You trust that He made the sacrifice for you on the cross. He paid that debt that you owed for sin. Each one of us, that promise is for us when we respond to the gospel with sincerity and the gift of the Holy Spirit is given. And it's an amazing thing. Why is it amazing? Because God is the giver. The Holy Spirit is the giver and the gift. He gives himself to us. We talked last week from the letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And in chapter 8, he wrote about living with the help of this gift of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. Again, he is the giver and the gift. It is the spirit of Almighty God. And it's not some active force. It's not... Some spiritual energy. No, this is God Almighty. The Holy Spirit is God. That was was our primary point last week. Number two, that this was, it's the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit is life-giving. This is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And he gives life to us too. Resurrection life now that we can live a different life. And The promise of resurrection to come. It's an amazing thing. And third, that the Holy Spirit there in Romans chapter 8 is the spirit of prayer. That he helps us in our times of weakness when we don't even have the words to say. And this morning, we speak of the spirit of hope. And what is hope? We heard Mr. Rob Susan talk about it in his lesson to the kids. Hope's an anticipation. It's looking forward to something. And typically, that's something positive. We're not hoping for something terrible. We're looking forward to something positive. Hope's a positive anticipation. And when it comes to God and hoping in God, hope is this confident expectation. Like that, that image that we saw in Anchor connected to the rock. It's a confident expectation that the Lord will bring about something for our good or for another's good. Something positive. And there are certain promises of God that the word of God speaks to and refers to as hopes. Those we can have as certain hope. They are guaranteed It's not like, as he uh, used in his example, Mr. Rob Susan, hoping for the Game Boy or PlayStation 22 or whatever number they're on now. I don't know. It's not hoping. Hope in God is a certainty. It's guaranteed. And one of those hopes that the word of God talks about is the promise for eternal life. We can hope in that in living eternally with Jesus Christ in heaven. And this is what the Apostle Peter, when he wrote his first letter, he called it a living hope. It's ironclad. It's, you can take that to the bank and count on it. We can confidently, with assurance, expect it. And Paul, the Apostle, writes of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, again, is in his letter to the church in Rome. Chapter 15, where we're going to go this morning. And I believe this word from Paul is timely for today. Especially with all the the unrest, with all the strife, the hate, and the division that we're witnessing in our country. This word from Romans chapter 15 can speak to us today. It's relevant for this moment. I want to share with you from Romans 15... Verses 7 through 13. The apostle wrote this. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we might consider that last verse, verse number 13, a prayer of Paul. That his readers, which extends to us, may overflow with hope. Are you overflowing with hope this morning? Some of you might say, well, not exactly. I can't uh, think of harder times than when you, you might lose someone you love. There's all kinds of hard things happening out in the world right now these past several months where people have lost loved ones, that has been really difficult. And that is a time where hope might seem to wane, especially when uh, there were funerals that had to be put off or the attendance would be just, was limited to 10 people. And we've had to face that here. We've had people that have lost loved ones, And they've decided, well, we'll have a memorial in a few months. Some have done their memorials using technology and connecting with some of the uh, video type uh, meetings. Others have just had a small group. And I've been, I've had uh, to officiate a couple of funerals. And one was for a, a dear, dear woman that was here in our church for many years, Margaret Yearding. Margaret was 95 uh, when she passed, and uh, her husband, Irwin, wanted to have a, a funeral, and um, there was just a few of us. We were at a graveside, and, and for these past several months, you had a decision. You could be at a funeral home, 10 people, or you could be outside the We were outside. It was a cold, uh, sort of cool day, raining. uh, But we took time to honor Margaret's life and speak of her. She was a woman who loved the Lord, loved the Lord with all her heart. And uh, we talked about that before she was buried. And I received a note after that from Brother Irwin, about that day. Because you can imagine, 62 years of marriage. It might rock you a little bit. And I found really this, just such hope in what he wrote. This is just part of what he had had written to me in this uh, beautiful card. It said, the satisfaction of knowing him And the power of his resurrection was fully realized by Margaret. Since everything else was of lesser value to her. Now there's a lady that knew where her hope was. I wanted to say something, Erwin went on. Like. That I wanted to say something like that at the graveside. But I was so emotional. And then he closed with this line. The soul would have no rainbow if the eyes had no tears. I'd called um, Irwin and talked to him actually yesterday. And I said, hey, how are you? Uh, How how are you? It's difficult in the days and weeks after you lose, especially after so many decades of life together. And he said these words. He said, well... It's lonely, but I'm not alone. I'm like, yes, of course. Here's a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not alone and understands there's, there's hope. There's hope in God. In this line that he wrote, the soul would have no rainbows if the eyes had no tears. It's from a poem uh, by a man named John, Fance, John Vance Cheney, And it expresses great hope. And I want to share with you that entire poem this morning. It's very, it's, it's short, but it's beautiful. This was written uh, about 1899. It says, Not in the time of pleasure hope doth set her bow, but in the sky of sorrow over the veil of woe. Through gloom and shadow look we on beyond the years, The soul would have no rainbow, had the eyes no tears. I don't know if this John Clancy was, or Cheney was a Christian or not, but he speaks to hope and he points out the promise of the rainbow. And I suspected he knew a thing or two about God's promises and the rainbow in the sky that when we think of the hope of God, it's ironclad. It's guaranteed because God's the author of such hope. Again, like that anchor. We see at times of sorrow, we're hard-pressed. We're hard-pressed to point out a deeper time of sorrow than losing a loved one. It's not a time of pleasure. And here, this, this poet wrote, And it's not a time of pleasure when you see the rainbow of hope, but in the valley, the veil of sorrow. And isn't that what distinguishes the hope of a Christian? It's in the times of sorrow that we can say we have this true hope because a Christian has that anchor for their soul. A Christian can point to the time when they sorrowed in their sin and that sorrow is no more. They can point to the time where they went from death to life. And what greater hope is there than going from death to life? Erwin shared that his wife lived that. She knew that because she experienced coming in this life being dead in sins and the guarantee, the hope for eternal life. Like all of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, what greater hope is there? A Christian has come to the realization that sin, this insurmountable barrier between God and us, and it's impervious to every single person, That barrier can only be penetrated, it can only be knocked down, it can only be pulverized by the invincible power of the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when it came to that pivotal moment in our lives, and if you think back to when you did have that realization, the reality of what was found in Jesus Christ... And you didn't come to that acknowledgement on your very own, did you? No, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Almighty God, convinced and convicted of sin. And then an awakening ensued in conjunction with humility and repentance. And then something happened, something occurred. A person, a creature, a soul that was once separated from life, from God, was reconciled and brought close to their creator, God. And the barrier of sin was toppled and knocked down when we accepted Jesus Christ. Well, in a sense, we accepted Jesus Christ, right? I kind of like the way that Paul wrote it to the Romans. Christ accepted you. Christ accepted me. And then he wrote, that's why we should accept others. You know, put aside these immutable differences like skin color. That don't make no difference to Jesus. Christ accepted you. And in Christ's acceptance of you, there's hope. The apostle wrote, overflowing, cup overflowing, cup running over hope. Paul made the point to this church in Rome that they've been accepted by Jesus Christ. And they were outside the Jews. Remember that Paul was a Jew. And he once thought that non-Jews, the the Gentiles, they had no place at all with God. They were unworthy of God. But that racial division had been demolished by Jesus. Paul, now, after he has been converted to Christ, he's, he's writing, you don't need a special birthright. He went on to write and emphasize no less than four times that this is the case. Why? Why would he have, why would he have emphasized it so much? Not, not saying it once or twice or three times, but four times. Well, perhaps, possibly, the Romans were losing their hope. Perhaps, as was common in the first century church, they were being assaulted. They were being persecuted by those who would tell them, hey, your salvation, sorry, it's not, you're not really safe. Salvation's for the Jews. Uh, And if you don't convert to the ways of the Jews, sorry, you're outside. You're not in. You better get with the program and follow the rites and the, the ceremonies that we have. Hey, have you been circumcised? Otherwise, you're not with us. You know, these were the kinds of things that were going on pointing to them and saying, well, you're separated from God. Well, from the outset of Paul's uh, writing here to the church in Rome, he dispelled such ideas. From very early on, the first chapter to, to, to this church in Rome, Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God that brings salvation. Salvation to the Jews, salvation just to this small group, Absolutely not. No, he wrote salvation to everyone. Salvation to everyone who believes. And then he wrote to the Jew and the Gentile. First to the Jew because Jesus came to the Jews. They were the ones who had rejected God over and over again. Paul wrote to the Jew and the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness, accepting everyone. A righteousness that by That is by faith from the first to the last, just as it's written. And he quotes from the Old Testament, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel, eternal life in Christ is open to every single person. The distinction of race, what you look like, what you talk like, that's totally eliminated in Christianity. And Paul developed this theme as he wrote, all people. All people, Jew or Gentile, you're sinners. There's the the commonality. And you're in need of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We all are. In the third chapter to the Romans, he wrote, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, to all, to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Romans 3.22. In chapter eight, he wrote for this, in this hope, we were saved. So over and over, meticulously, this apostle wrote that Christ accomplished by his death and resurrection, what he accomplished is open to all. It's not a two-tiered system. There's not a first class in Christianity and then some second class, third class. That's not how the kingdom of God works. One person's not above the other just because of where they were born or who was their parents. And Paul brings this to a summary here in chapter 15. Christ became a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promise that was made to the patriarchs, those Old Testament uh, men and women, judges, etc., what was written through them in the Old Testament might be confirmed. And moreover, that the non-Jews, these Gentiles, everybody else, might glorify God because of his mercy in sending Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ accepts all who willingly repent. And the the harmony of all people glorifies God. God, Jesus accepts all and all can receive this overflowing hope. As I said, Paul emphasized Christ's willing acceptance of everybody no less than four times. And I'll look at each one of these points briefly. And he he introduces each one by saying, as it is written. So there's not a hint here about where this comes from. This is an explicit statement. I'm going back to the word of God. This is what the man is doing. And he's letting us know that these things that were written before, they have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They are promises that pointed to Jesus. Now they've been fulfilled. He says them four times and he keeps getting more explicit and direct. Promise number one, promise number one that he wrote. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises of your name. Now that's a line from Psalm number eighteen that we talked about a few weeks ago it's psalm eighteen forty nine and you can also find it in second samuel chapter twenty two which is just exactly the same as psalm number eighteen it 's a psalm of David, a song that he uh, wrote and sung, and the context that surrounds this verse is prophetic it 's a promise it 's pointing to Jesus, where in essence the psalmist David is is writing a promise and it's promised that among the Gentiles it's and think about that this is the time where King David's king of the Jews and he's conquered Jerusalem etc you know they are they are God's chosen people and he's saying it among the Gentiles God through Christ will be praised now there's a bit of subtlety there and we can admit that it might not be so direct There's a little bit of an illusion. Paul could have been more direct in his reference, couldn't he? Well, he was. He wrote on. Promise number two. Promise number two fulfilled by Jesus. Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. This is the conclusion of the song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, as he was transitioning leadership to Joshua. And it's a prophetic promise again. That the Gentiles would rejoice in God as do the Jews. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus, a promise of Jesus that was fulfilled in Christ. The apostle goes on again. The third promise. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Paul's giving a citation here from uh Psalm number 117. He actually gave half the psalm because it's only two verses. And it's not subtle anymore, is it? It's not an insinuation. It is direct. All Gentiles, all people will extol God. All will praise the Lord. Not just the Jews. Again, Christianity is open wide. It's a promise that's going to be fulfilled in Christ. And then Promise number four. It's the culmination of these three previous Old Testament references. And Paul draws from the prophet Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah. And he says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, Gentiles will hope. Oh, it's Isaiah 11, 10. And there's zero subtlety here. There's not an insinuation or illusion. No, Jesus He's saying, "Is is going to spring up from Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. Out of the root of Jesse came King David, and he was the king whose lineage was promised as going to be everlasting. Your throne's going to last forever. And Jesus Christ was in the lineage of David." There's two gospels that give the genealogy of Jesus. And I, you know, I know it's boring to read all those names, but they're there for a reason. They're pointing out something to us. They're letting us know that Jesus is connected to King David. He is the promised king. He's the promised king. Through his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, Jesus was connected to King David. He is the promised king. Jesus is the everlasting king. He's risen and all nations in him can find hope. From this assertion where Paul wrote, Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. He, he, he then progresses through these four Old Testament promises and references that pointed to Christ. And he concluded with the most pointed in direct reference from the prophet Isaiah, in Christ, all will hope. That's that's a fantastic promise. And then he writes this. And then he writes this. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a prayer. I receive it. And I hope you do too. That the overflowing hope, that the overflowing hope of the Holy Spirit carries us and lifts us. That that overflowing of hope, though it, it can only occur if we've turned to Christ in repentance and we've humbly submitted our lives to him. Then that hope can carry us. Then that hope of the power of the Holy Spirit It'll bring times of refreshment, especially when we're especially when we're in uncertain times and times of trial. You now, as sure and certain as the promises that Paul listed are fulfilled in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have this hope. When I think of trying to console someone who doesn't have that hope, especially when They've lost a loved one. And I've been confronted with that. Someone calls and says, hey, would you would you say some words at a funeral? And I meet a family that has, they have zero faith at all. They've never met Jesus Christ. And when I've been asked to do that, I, I'll usually respond, yes, absolutely. It's, a, it's an opportunity to share the gospel. But I'll tell you what. I can see the despair. I can see the hopelessness when they're not anchored in Jesus Christ. And I know there's hopelessness. Unless and until there's a yielding to Christ, true, lasting, overflowing hope will never come. You know, when I read that card from um, Erwin Geerdink, And I could feel in the midst of such pain, losing a spouse of so many years, over 60. I I could still sense that strength and that resolve that transcends that pain. Because he he is hope. What can carry a man like that? But the hope that he has in Jesus Christ, what can carry us in times of trial In the veil of sorrow. But the spirit of hope. The fullness of the hope in Christ. By the the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's not some finite reservoir. No, that's a continual spring. That's a flood. That's an inundating, uh, saturating, deluge of overflowing hope. That's what the apostle is writing of. And it's available to all people. If you haven't availed yourself to such hope, this morning's your opportunity. Your opportunity to, to yield to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to bring such hope. If you're, if you're listening online, you've never heard that before. You can have hope because Jesus Christ died for you. And you see. There's a barrier between you and God. It's it's sin. It's rejection of him. And that could be taken care of by saying Jesus paid it all and acknowledging that before him and repenting sincerely. You'll find hope. You will find hope even in times of trial. We're going to celebrate that hope the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. He died for us. He died for us. We're going to sit at our communion table and we're going to share the bread and the cup. If you're at home, some of you I know have taken the time to come here during the week and pick up the bread and the cup or you've prepared something. And those of you who are here you've got this little bag, just open it up and you have your bread and cup. We're going to celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us to give us hope, hope for eternity, a hope that can never be taken away. I want to share with you from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and then we can open this bread. Paul reminded and said, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Well, let's take a minute to do that. And if you need to to open this, it's it's very straightforward. If you just bend the tip of this little cup down, it should separate two little pieces of cellophane and you can peel the top one get your bread and let's do that and hold it take a minute to examine our hearts to examine our hearts and if if you're holding this bread but you truly haven't repented before God think about that. take the time to say, hey get right with the Lord before you would before you would receive this and his word tells us discern the body rightly, You can sincerely repent before Almighty God right now. Before you, you receive this, let's just take a minute to look into our own hearts. Thank you, Father, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He died for us. Paid the price that we owe. Because we're guilty of sin. We're guilty against you. We're guilty of offending you in your perfect holiness. And the only recourse we have to get right with you is to receive the blood sacrifice of Jesus, which paid for that sin. God, if there's any in this room, any online, any within my listening voice, we're doing that right now. God, receive that person's sincerity. Your word declares time and again, it's open to all, open to everyone who receives Christ, his sacrifice. We thank you for that, God. And as we who have repented and called on your name, listen to the word of the apostle. We, we want to discern this body rightly, the body of Christ, and we ask your forgiveness, we ask for your grace, for anything, God, that's come between us and you, to you would wash us, cleanse us, that we would discern the sacrifice of Christ rightly, and we thank you for that, God, we thank you for that, and now we hold this bread, Lord, and we ask your blessing on it, this is the bread that represents the body of Christ broken for us, what an awesome sacrifice he made. He gave his life. God in the flesh. Who came down to this earth to experience our pain and suffering. And he can relate to it. And he knows the temptations. And he understands the pressures. And he gave his life. He yielded obediently to the cross. Sacrificed for us. We thank you for that God. Bless this bread unto us. As we receive it God. With joy, we receive it with hope. Hope assured in the sacrifice of Christ. Amen. Let's eat together. you can prepare your cup. You, you don't have to peel the whole top off. You just can, All you need to do is grab that second piece and just peel it back a little. And let's ask the Lord's blessing on this cup. His word declares it's a cup of blessing. God, it's so hard to think about. He gave his life and it represents his blood. How can it be a blessing it's a blessing to us because it represents eternal life thank you god for this cup lord as we hold it before you we ask your grace we thank you for the sacrifice that jesus made this indeed is a cup of blessing that we bless though he gave his life he blessed us and we appreciate it we're grateful And as we receive it, we call to mind and remember what he did for us. That's what your word has asked us to do. To remember what Christ did for us. That we never ever take it for granted. May that never be. May it always be to us eternal life. And we see it for what it is. He gave his life so that we wouldn't have to. And we've received life because of it. Thank you, God. We receive it with grateful hearts this cup. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You are wonderful. You are wonderful. We Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. If you would just put that cup back into this bag and way out. There's a place to put it. Let's stand. If you're at home, don't disconnect. Got a great, uh, great song to close with. A blessing. A blessing. And if it's new to you, sing along. Sing along. We can be blessed by
0: Thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you. And the thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you. Besides you, all around you, and within you, He is with you, He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He is for you, 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 He is for you.
1: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that holy presence, that holy presence that we can share. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Some of the verses of that song were inspired by Psalm 121. Watch it going out, they're coming. He'll help. And from numbers... 624-26, 624-26, the blessing that Aaron gave to God's people. So we have the presence of Almighty God with us. We have this hope. I trust you're leaving with that hope this morning. Leave with the hope and leave with this blessing. And if you're at home, receive this blessing. Raise your hands. From Numbers twenty, from number six twenty four, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May he make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. From Paul's New Testament writing, may the peace of God that transcends our understanding keep hearts and minds and souls through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.